This is the word of the Lord. Hear this, all you peoples. Listen to all who inhabit the world, both low and high, rich and poor together. My mouth speaks wisdom. My heart's meditation brings understanding. I turn my ear to a proverb. I explain my riddle with a liar. For one can see that the wise die, the foolish and stupid also pass away. Then they leave their wealth to others. Their graves are their permanent homes, their dwellings from generation to generation, though they have named estates after themselves. But despite his assets, mankind will not last. He is like the animals that perish. This is the way of those who are arrogant, and of their followers who approve of their words. Like sheep they are headed for Sheol, death will shepherd them. The upright will rule over them in the morning, and their form will waste away in Sheol, far from their lofty abode. But God will redeem me from the power of Sheol, for he will take me. Do not be afraid when a person gets rich, when the wealth of his house increases. For when he dies, he will take nothing at all. His wealth will not follow him down. Though he blesses himself during his lifetime, and you are claimed when you do well for yourself, he will go to the generation of his fathers. They will never see the light. Mankind with his assets but without understanding is like the animals that perish. Thanks, daughter and wife. It's like a gray family uh, worship gathering here today. Which actually, yeah, it's summertime and some of the regular volunteers out and whatever, but uh, it's actually even more of a gray family thing because my brother and sister-in-law decided to show up. Uh, so he's actually the really good drummer in the family. So if I just tag him in for the last couple of songs, you don't have to wonder where I went. But it's good to be with you. If you're new, my name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. And we're doing a summer in the Psalms where we're looking at a selection of different Psalms. As a church, we love to just go through books of the Bible. Uh, we've been going through the book of Leviticus. We're going to pick Leviticus back up in just a few Sundays. We've got today and then two more Sundays in the Psalms. And uh, speaking of the summer and people traveling and people here and people there and people gone, so uh, the, the Barker family just recently moved away. So Jamin stepped down as a pastor and their family moved out of state. And then uh, Jason, Pastor Jason, who's over our kids and student ministries, he's still on his sabbatical for another month. Just keep praying for their family that the Lord would really recharge their batteries and, and do good work in them. And then uh, John, our administrative pastor, he's on vacation this week. Well, actually, his wife is on vacation and he's at home with four boys under the age of 10. So whatever the opposite of a vacation is, that's what he's on right now. And then uh, our dear Myung, a deacon of Connect and Community, is set to go on paternity leave like any day whenever uh, their precious baby girl arrives. So he's going to be gone. And then it's my birthday next week. And so we're going to take a family camping trip. And Doug is in Idaho all the time at his cabin. So what I'm trying to say is, Pastor Steve, you're the last man standing. And if any of you want to know, it's like just him next week. So you can just take over. You can take him out. It'll be great. Uh, no, come and make a lot of ruckus and, and learn uh, from Pastor Steve next week in the Psalms. But uh, it's a good day to talk about the folly of trusting in wealth. And when we look at Psalm 49, I was praying a few months ago and just trying to select a handful of Psalms that I thought would hit on a number of different topics. Uh, I felt like the Lord kept drawing me back to this Psalm. And I will just confess to you, I do not like preaching about money. I feel like every time I go to preach about money, I can feel the gaze of the skeptic that says, oh yeah, here we go, another preacher talking about money again. But I want you to know that... Uh, next week, I turn 40. 
So I just don't care anymore, okay? So uh, I'm going to preach on money, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, what's the saying? When you're on thin ice, you might as well dance. I want to I wanna talk about our wallets. I want to talk about our hearts. And uh, I, honestly, I would rather preach about like mold and mildew in Leviticus than on money. But here's, here's where we are. And uh, so I just want to invite you to allow the, uh, your heart to be open before the Lord. I want to pray. You guys can pray for me. Let's pray for our time together in the scriptures. Lord, I ask and I pray for myself that you would uh, guide and direct my words, that I would only teach that which is in line with the truth of your word. And Lord, I pray for each and every single one of us that you would give us soft hearts and you would help us to examine at the deepest level where we really place our trust, where our treasure is, Lord Jesus. You said that's where you'd find our heart. And we want our treasure, we want our heart to be you. But Lord, I know for myself and every person here, Our hearts are so prone to go astray and to put our trust in other things. So Lord, be with us. I pray that you'd bring the words of the scriptures to life here. Uh, Holy Spirit, we welcome your presence. Would you move and minister to us? In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. So I'll admit to you, as I got into this passage and I started studying, you'll, you'll see why in a minute here, there's a lot of talk of like the grave and the sheol and going into the ground. I was distracted this whole week while I was prepping for preaching on this psalm because it instantly called to mind an episode of one of the greatest TV shows that has ever been made under the sun. Yes, of course, I'm talking about the 1960s Batman TV series, okay? Is there any fans of the 1960s Batman here with me? Okay, so I grew up on that. Uh, we didn't have cable TV or whatever, and I didn't, also I didn't grow up in the 60s, you maybe could tell, but my grandma had uh, cable, and she had a, what's it called, a VHS recorder, and she would, you guys, kids, you know what a VHS tape is? It's like a thing, it's like the size of your refrigerator, and you'd put it in, and the, the tape, and the cartridge, and then everyone was like, hey, don't record, that's illegal, and so she would just record all these episodes of the 1960s Batman show, and this one episode came to mind for me because... In this episode, Batman is, you know, he's kind of flirting with Catwoman or whatever, and then they're going into this cave, and they, there's a treasure, and Catwoman wants the treasure, but she's going to fall off the edge of this cliff, and Batman said, hey, you got to let go of the treasure, you're going to fall down into the, the line is a bottomless pit, which when I was like six or seven years old, that just blew my mind, like a bottomless pit, like, you know, like the first time I ever tried to comprehend infinity or like an eternal God, like was through Batman, yes, Batman leads me to God, and I, I was, is watching this episode, and it's, it's, you know, she's, she's holding on to the treasure. She won't let go of the treasure. And eventually, she falls into the bottomless pit to her untimely demise. That's all I could think about this week when I was pre- prepping this psalm. And, uh, you know, money, this, this idea of treasure and the wealth. So I actually looked it up. I found a website this week. It's called tvtropes.com. And apparently, death by treasure is a very common trope. Uh, I actually heard from several people after the first service, I told that story, that the first thing that comes to mind is Indiana Jones, right? Indiana Jones. It's like literally every Indiana Jones movie. The website pointed out like uh, the Mummy movie franchise has that trope all the time. I also saw Sharknado 2 has the death by treasure trope. If you, I've never seen that one, but I'll get to it eventually. It's after Sharknado 1, I'm assuming. But it's a very common movie and TV and story trope of clinging to treasure, clinging to money, and then actually falling to your death. And it's so ironic because the reason why you would cling to treasure or cling to wealth in the first place is to avoid death. See, we, 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 we treasure our possessions, we hoard our wealth, we build up our bank account, we hold on to money because 
That can buy us clothes that shelter us from the cold, or that can buy us a house that protects us from the elements or can have locks on the doors or safety, you know, security measures to keep us safe from evildoers, or that money can buy us good food that nourishes our bodies and can buy us medical attention. We, we, would, we would collect all that treasure, we would collect all that wealth in a literal attempt to save our lives, and yet what this psalm, and yes, that episode of Batman from the 60s was trying to teach us is that very often, the more that we cling to wealth, the more often it actually leads to death and destruction. And that's literally at the heart of what this psalm is about. Psalm 49. If you got your Bibles, let's go back to the beginning. Let's open it up and let's look here. Psalm 49, starting in verse 1. It says this. It says, For the choir director, and that is sacred scripture. Those are words of the psalm. So it's written for a choir director, for a public performance, or for a congregational singing. And it says, A psalm of the sons of Korah. Now, we're going to come back and discuss the sons of Korah in more detail in a minute, but I want to get into the psalm first. He says this. He says, hear this, all you peoples. Listen, all you who inhabit the world, both lowly and high, rich and poor together. Everyone come listen. My mouth speaks wisdom. My heart's meditation brings understanding. I turn my ear to a proverb. I explain my riddle with a lyre. It's like a stringed instrument, kind of sort of like a guitar. So there's different types of psalms, right? There's lament psalms where we're grieving and weeping over something. There's celebration and thanksgiving psalms to praise God for his gifts. There's songs to ascend to Jerusalem when it's Passover time. This is a different kind of psalm. This is a rarer type of psalm. What is this kind of psalm? When you hear words like understanding and knowledge and a riddle and a proverb, what should we think this kind of psalm is? This is a wisdom psalm. It's actually similar to the book of Proverbs, but instead of being short little pithy statements, it's a, it's a song. It's a musical wisdom song. You need to think like one of those old school musicians who's like, gather me around, you know, gather around children. Listen, I got to tell you a tale, right? This is, this is Johnny Cash story song time, right? Come on, you guys could be more excited about Johnny Cash than that, right? Like this is, this is we're going to get into the mud and the blood and the beer here in a minute, okay? So this is a story song. It's a gather around. Let me tell you a tale. Let me, let me share some wisdom that we've learned. Verse five, here, what is, the, what is the proverb? What is the question we're supposed to ponder? Verse five, where, why should I fear in times of trouble? Now, let me just say something. At a human level, that is a stupid question. What do you mean, why should I fear in times of trouble? Because they're times of trouble. What do we do when we have trouble? The natural human response is to fear, to get anxious, to start to worry. Financial trouble, health trouble, relational trouble. Quick show of hands, over the last couple of years, has anyone felt fear in times of trouble? Some of y'all are asleep, or some of y'all are lying, or some of you are so bound up in fear you can't even raise your hand, okay? Why should I fear in times of trouble? Because they're times of trouble. But he says this. He says, the iniquity of my foes surround me. I've got enemies, and they're sinful, and I don't like them, and they're opposed to me. And yet they trust in their wealth, and they boast of their abundant riches, Yet, he says, these cannot redeem a person or pay his ransom 
to God. Since the price of redeeming him is too costly, one should forever stop trying so that he may live forever and not see the pit. Okay, the word ransom, in our vernacular, the way that we use the word ransom is you got kidnapped and now somebody has to pay money to the bad guys to set you free. When the Bible uses the word ransom, the Bible is not using the word ransom like that. God did not kidnap and he's now holding us hostage and he needs to be paid back. What the psalmist is talking about, what the biblical authors, and they use that word ransom or they use the word redemption, what they're talking about is how much would it cost for you to actually own your own life? How much would it cost so that you could live forever and never die? How much money would it take to live forever? How much would that possibly cost? See, the Bible tells a story that we were created in God's image, in God's likeness, but we are created as contingent beings. We don't exist on our own. We are reliant upon a source outside of ourselves. That source is God. The book of Genesis tells us that it is through the tree of life that mankind was to eat and to be nourished and so live forever. Mankind was not created eternal, but we were created to be immortal. We were created to live forever with God. But because of the sin of Adam and Eve, because of their folly, their being deceived because of the rebellion, they ate of the other tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and and evil, and were therefore expelled from the garden. Because of their sinfulness, they were removed from God's holy presence. Therefore, they no longer had access to the tree of life, and there is a slow withering. It's like when you pluck a fruit off of a branch and you set it on the shelf. It's there for a while. It's still alive, but it will eventually wear out. Or when you unplug your phone, in the morning, the whole rest of your day, as you go through your work and you go through your school, your phone is just slowly dying. We are all born into this world alive, but because of sin, we are cut off from the tree of life. And the psalmist is asking the question, how much money would it take to get, you know, proverbially plugged back in? I remember reading an article a few years ago, maybe CNN, uh, and they had this article that said like, This is like four or five years ago. It said, the first humans who are going to live to be 200 years old are already alive. And they were touting all of the medical, uh, you know, technology and all the advances. This is incredible. Medical technology, the age that we're living in, amen? Like, Like, you can use your stem cells to grow new organs, like replacement parts. Like you just keep a locker of like spare kidneys or whatever. That's just weird, but it's like happening. And you, it's like, man, you could, you could get all sorts of organs and you could, you could probably live really, really long time. And how much money would that cost? Who knows? But let's just try it. And is there any ethical complications? We don't know. We didn't think about that, but that's a different topic for a different Sunday. But the, the idea of like, okay, okay. You could, maybe you could really have advanced medical technology. What about war? What about natural disasters? What about the next unstoppable virus or whatever? How much money, how much effort would it take to actually purchase your life in such a way that you were no longer contingent upon God? The answer is it can't be done. It cannot be done. The richest of the richest of the rich can afford the best homes, the warmest clothes, the best food, the most expensive doctors, and guess what? 100 out of 100 still die. Some of you are saying, I thought Summer in the Psalms was supposed to be like a fun, upbeat sermon series. This is fun and upbeat. Welcome to Sound City Bible Church, okay? Verse 10. For one can see that 
the wise die, the foolish and the stupid also pass away. <laughs> um, I try to stay off social media as much as I can because it's a cesspool, but I did find an account on Twitter recently that's called A Thousand Ways to Die, and it's mostly, it's like Fail Army, but slightly scarier, where it's mostly men, like, on ladders, leaned up against things that they shouldn't be while holding a chainsaw, and it's like, most of the comments, like, why do, why do women live longer than men? And it's that kind of a thing, right? But here the point is, like, you could, you could be foolish and stupid, you know, put your ladder up against the limb of a tree and then cut that limb off, you could also be really wise and not be on social media. Everyone's going to die. How good is that wisdom? The wise die, the foolish and the stupid also pass away. Yeah, wisdom might help you die less soon, but that's not a guarantee. And then they take all that wealth that they've, they've accumulated and they leave it to others. You know what their permanent home is? You know where they live for a really long time now? The grave. That's their longest house. So I, uh, the house that my wife and I live in now, it's the longest we've ever lived in any house. This summer, actually, this week, marks eight years. Eight years. He says the grave is going to be a lot longer of a house for that. Their dwellings from generation to generation, even though they've named their estates after themselves. I don't, like, I think that's, a, that's like a southern thing. You, like, name your ranch after yourself, right? We don't name our houses here in the Pacific Northwest. You could make that an exercise at community group this week. If you would name your house, what would you name your house? He says, despite his assets, mankind will not last. He's like the animals that perish. Like, what's the difference between you and an animal? Watched a nature documentary last night. Watched a leopard rip a a zebra in half. Watched it with my kids, because I'm a good dad. This is the way of those who are arrogant and of their followers who approve of their words. And then this word selah, which in the psalm just means pause. So let's just pause. Verse 14, these wicked people, the arrogant people, like sheep, they are headed for Sheol. Death will shepherd them. That's what I should have titled this sermon. The upright will rule over them in the morning and their form will waste away in shale far from their lofty abode. But God will redeem me from the power of shale, for he will take me. Selah. I'm going to finish the psalm in a minute, but I want to, I want to pause. I want to do that selah here because one of the Bible study tools that you should have in your bag of tools when you're reading the Bible is the repeated word tool. When you're reading the Bible and you notice, oh, there's like a repeated word or a a repeated phrase that keeps showing up over and over again, you should stop and ponder it. The biblical author is trying to tell you something. So, like sheep they're headed for, Sheol, death will shepherd them. The upright will rule over them in the morning. Their form will waste away in Sheol, far from their lofty abode. But God will redeem me from the power of Sheol, for he will take me. What is this Hebrew word Sheol that keeps showing up here and it's, it's in the grave and in the pit and Sheol? What is going on here? Well, let me, let me that's a great question. I'm glad you asked it because I have some material prepared to tell you what Sheol is, okay? The word is used 65 times in the Old Testament. It's an extremely common word and its most general meaning is just the realm of the dead. It's like saying the grave or it's even maybe more literally sometimes like, like the ground, 
You know, we talk about someone being six feet under after they pass away. It's, it's like that. It's, it's the realm of the dead. It's where dead people go. And incidentally, it's where everyone goes. I know that for some of you, you're thinking ahead to New Testament teaching on, you know, Hades and paradise and ultimately heaven and, and hell and all of that. But the Old Testament talks about everyone going to Sheol. So here in our psalm, right, the wicked are there. But when Jacob's son Joseph was thought to be dead and killed by wild animals, he said, I want to go to Sheol to be with my son. That's what Jacob the patriarch says. So it's where everybody goes. The, the language in the Psalms, it's mostly in the Psalms, but sometimes in the prophets as well, the language is very shadowy. It's like a, it's like a, it's like a see-through, shimmery, shadowy, but it's also unescapable. You, you can't leave. Nobody leaves the pit. Nobody leaves Sheol. It's just where you end up. Disembodied, but conscious. Shadowy and, and unescapable. And... It is fair to say that there is an aspect of it for the righteous where they do experience comfort and rest. The Old Testament uses language like, like resting with your fathers or reclining at Abraham's side. But there is also a portion of it that is sorrowful, anguish, sadness, waiting for the day of final judgment. So for those who have trusted in the one true God, there is comfort. For those who have not, death will shepherd them. Now, why does the psalmist bring up Sheol? Why does he bring up the ground, the grave, the, the realm of the dead? Why does he bring it up so many times here? And the answer is, all the way back before verse 1, when it talks about this song being written by the sons of Korah, or the descendants of Korah. Who's Korah? Man, you guys are asking great questions today. Let me tell you who Korah is. Korah is an ancient Israelite who was a contemporary of Moses. So we've got to go all the way back to the Leviticus and Numbers time again, okay? He's an ancient Israelite. He's, a, he's mentioned in Numbers chapter 16 as a prominent leader. He's a prominent leader, and, and many early rabbis read that to mean he's wealthy. He's a wealthy person. He's prominent. He gathers up other prominent people with him, and he incites a rebellion against Moses. He basically, we, we learn later in the book of Chronicles that the family of Korah is involved in tabernacle worship. It's why they're writing psalms. It's why they're writing songs. It's why they are choir directors and musicians and all of that. Well, he, he basically says, hey, Moses, you and Aaron and the, the tribe of Levi, you shouldn't be in charge of tabernacle worship. I should be in charge. My family should be in charge. And so he leads this big rebellion. And Moses cries out to the Lord and prays and says, what should I do? And the Lord speaks to him and says, we're going to have ourselves a priestly showdown, a good old-fashioned priestly showdown. Some of you, you can think of it like what Elijah did with the prophets of Baal and Mount Carmel, but this was earlier. God says, everyone bring one of those fire pans that you keep your incense in, and we're going to see which offering the Lord will accept. And so they all gather together, and they're giving a speech, and they're all talking, and then the Lord speaks to Moses and says, hey, Moses, Tell everyone to just back away from Korah and his people. And so they back up and they separate. And there's a little physical distance. Verse 31, just as he finished speaking all these words, the ground beneath them split open. The earth opened its mouth and swallowed them and their households, all Korah's people and all their possessions. 
they went down alive into Sheol with all that belongs to them. Possessions are mentioned twice right there. You see that? Possessions and belongings. There's this connection between Sheol and money. The earth closed over them and they vanished from the assembly. A few years ago, I, I grew up in Alaska, living here. There was a massive earthquake in Anchorage. And I think I showed some pictures of it one Sunday, but literally the ground opening up, literally, you know, whole entire cars just kind of disappearing into the ground. Think something like that over this rebellious Korah with all of his possessions, with all of his money, thought that he could buy the leadership of tabernacle worship. And the Lord said, your money can't redeem you from Sheol. And here, hundreds of years later, however many years later, the descendant is reflecting, but God will redeem me from the power of Sheol. He will take me. Do not be afraid when a person gets rich, when the wealth of his house increases. For when he dies, he'll take nothing at all. His wealth will not follow him down. Yes, this is a good story, Psalm, isn't it? Helps, helps a lot when you understand some of this backstory. Listen up, children. Listen up, young ones. I got a story to tell you. Rich guy thought he could buy his way into prominence, thought he could could bribe God, thought he could take over the leadership. Shale opened up and swallowed him. The money didn't help him then. Verse 18, summary here. Though he blesses himself during his lifetime... And you are acclaimed when you do well for yourself. He will go to the generation of his ancestors. He's saying like, look, even if you get blessed and even if people speak well of you, like it's not wrong to have these possessions, even if you do a good job with it, but still going to go into the ground, going to go be with your ancestors and they'll never see the light. Mankind with his assets, but without understanding is like the animals that perish. Now that last line of the psalm there, it's the end of the psalm, we heard something earlier. We heard something back in verse 12. It says, despite his assets, mankind will not last. He's like the animals that perish. What's the difference between you and that zebra I watched last night on the documentary? There's no difference. We're all going to perish. Hopefully you don't get eaten by a leopard. Verse 20, though, it's a little bit different. Did you notice the difference? Despite his assets, even with his assets, but without understanding is like the animals that perish. Now there, again, there's that repeated word tool. Use that. So what is the understanding? What's the difference between us and the animals? Understanding. What's the difference between you and the rest of all of, you know, created order? It's that God gives us the possibility for understanding that makes a difference. So what is the understanding? Right back in verse 15, where the sons of Korah say, God will redeem me from the power of Sheol, for he will take me. Friends, God has always been in the business of redeeming his people on the other side of death. Now I want to share, this is a wisdom psalm, so I would love to share three wisdom reflections with you from this psalm, three things to think about. The first one is this. Money is a helpful tool, but it is a terrible God. You know, I'll say it this way. There is nothing wrong with having money or having earthly possessions. 
In fact, throughout the Bible, earthly possessions are often, often, not always, but often a symbol of God's favor and blessing. How many times have we heard that verse in, in, in uh, Timothy butchered, Paul said to Timothy, right? Uh, money is the root of all evil. How many have heard that one? That is not what it says. What does it actually say? The love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. Paul is talking to Timothy not about money itself, but about the position of the heart. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 6, he says, look, no one can serve two different masters. You've got to pick a lane. He said, you're either going to worship God or, what's he say? Money. He, he sets up money as a rival deity to the one true God. Now, you and I think that because we live in a modern society, we're so civilized, we don't bow down in front of statues like those, you know, those old-fashioned people, uncivilized people did. Friends, the things I have seen people do for money, you could only put it in the category of religious devotion. We need money. We need things to live. We need things to survive. The Lord knows that. But boy, does money have such a strong, sneaky way of worming its way into our heart, causing us to trust in it. I've, I've thought about money quite a bit over the last few weeks because I had my debit card information stolen. I went to fill up at the gas pump and my card got declined like a number of times. And I thought, well, I couldn't afford this tank of gas anyway. So, uh, I'm saying, what's going on with my card? And so I get on the phone and I call my, my credit union and I get on the phone with them. And it's like, hey, yeah, my, my card's being declined. And they're like, oh, yes, we have someone in the fraud department that would actually like to speak with you. And they're like, okay, there's a couple suspicious purchases on your account. They're like, did you purchase from the, the PlayStation Online Network a Ninja Turtles video game? I was like, yes, okay, I'm an adult. I can do that if I want. <laughs> said too much. Uh, they're like, okay, we're marking that one as not suspicious, I guess. It's like, I was hanging out with my kids. Second, they're like, did you spend $550 at a place called <laughs> Seattle Gold Grills with a Z? Like teeth grills? I was like, oh, no, that one's not me. Uh, I could see how I'm, you know, I'm about to turn 40 in the midlife crisis thing, but that's not my jam. That's not how I would go about it. So, so I've had to go through all of the bills that we have on this debit card and pay. Like there was a, a few days where I didn't have my debit card. It's like, I can't buy lunch or I have to, you know, I can't fill up my gas right now or I have to figure things out and I have to go through the pain of like resetting up my card and all the, you know, different things like our cell phone or our utilities or the PlayStation Network or whatever, right? It's like, you just got to go through and put the card in. It's just such a pain. It's this, it's this tool that really enables us to do the things of life. And I had that opportunity now when I don't have access to it. Okay, Lord, help me to check my heart. Money's a helpful tool, but it is a worthless, terrible God. Korah worshiped money and the power that his money could buy, but it led to his destruction. And now Korah's descendants exhort us, don't trust in money. It's easier said than done, amen? Easier said than done. But here's the key from this psalm. Reflection number two. You want to get free from the, 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 the power of money as a God in your life? 
The way to do that is to learn how to fear death less. The less that we fear death, the less power money holds over us. Luke 18, Jesus and the rich young ruler, right? The rich young ruler is like, oh, I, I keep all the commandments. I'm, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty good. I'm good at following the Lord. I never break any of the commandments. And Jesus goes, oh, yes, you're right. I did forget about one thing, though. Take everything you have, sell it, and just give it away. And says the rich young ruler went away, greatly sad because he had accumulated much wealth. And Jesus then says, he, he, see, he, 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 this isn't just about like, oh, being a good person and sharing and giving to the poor. Jesus says, how hard is it for a rich person to enter into the kingdom of heaven? Jesus starts talking about eternal life, eternal, uh, you know, salvation sort of stuff. And the disciples go, man, if he, Jesus goes, it's, it's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. And the disciples go, well, then who could be saved? And Jesus goes, exactly. It's impossible with man, but it's only possible through God. That God shows up with this message of, I'm here to break the power of death. We see a a hint of it in this psalm when he says, I know that the Lord won't abandon me to Sheol. The Lord will take me to himself. Friends, you and I are so blessed, though, to live now in the fulfillment of that promise that the sons of Korah were looking forward to from afar. Because friends, we are privileged to know Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who entered into the world, who he said himself that he came to break over the power of death. That Jesus came, born of a woman, lived a simple life, a meager life, not a life of wealth and extravagance. He left the glories of heaven's treasure to come and live in a simple life of a humble villager. And he proclaimed the kingdom of God and he said, there's a greater treasure to be had. There's more to live for than just living for earthly possessions. And then Jesus went to the cross where he did something for us. Because see, in our sin, we've accumulated an un payable debt. Every time we choose money over God, we may gain dollars in our physical bank account, but we gain a debt in our spiritual bank account. And Jesus came and he answered the question that the psalmist asked. The psalmist said, what would be the price to redeem your life? What would, what would it cost to live forever? And the answer is the precious blood of Jesus Christ spilled on the cross for us. And Jesus said, anyone who trusts in me, even if you die, you will still live and I will raise you up on the last day. And Jesus rose from the dead to prove that his claim was true, to prove that our debt has been canceled, our, our payment has been made, and we are forgiven The gospel is this promise of an imperishable inheritance. You know, think about that too, the idea of an inheritance. I've had to wrestle with even stuff around inheritance and money lately because um, the failing health of one of my grandmothers and I've become the backup executor on the estate of one of my other other grandmothers. It's a weird thing. There's future money just kind of out there at some point that'll show up. It's a strange thing. But the gospel tells us that if we trust in Jesus, if we give our sins to him, we confess them, we give our sins to Jesus, if we receive his grace, receive his forgiveness, that right now today, 
Our debt is wiped clean. And one day in the future, the Apostle Paul says, we're going to have an eternal inheritance that will never spoil. And friends, I can't tell you with great specificity what that is. I just know that it's better than your 401k. It's better than your, your IRA. It's better than any stock. It's better than, it's better than your crypto wallet you've been storing up, right? Do not store up crypto for yourself where bros break in and steal, right? It's like, Whatever you trust in, whatever you put, you can put all the gold you want in the walls of your house. But if you trust in Jesus, you have an imperishable inheritance can never be taken away from you. This is the hope of the gospel, friends. Money is a helpful tool, terrible God. We break its power by learning how to not fear death. And we don't fear death because Jesus Christ died, faced death, and rose again and has offered to redeem our lives from Sheol. Let me close with some practical instructions here. I want to I give you some practical things to do. And I want you to take these. Some of these will be for some of you. Some of them will be for others of you. I want you to evaluate them with your spouse if you're married, with your close friends if you're not married, with people in your life that you can talk about. You can talk about it in your community group. Community groups can be really interesting this week. You're going to talk about money and you're going to pick out names for your houses, okay? Five things I want to just talk to you about putting money in its place briefly. Number one, tithing. The word tithe... This, this could be an entire sermon in and of itself. I'm just going to say some very simple things. The word tithe means a tenth. And we see it show up very early on in the book of Genesis where a tenth is given to those who lead God's people in worship. It really comes into fullness in the book of Leviticus where you see people bringing their tithes into the tabernacle where those who lead God's people in gathered worship receive that as their payment. Now, in the Old Testament, the tithe, even though it's called a tithe, it means a tenth, actually many biblical scholars have calculated out. If you add in the burnt offerings and the fellowship offerings and the, the, the purification offerings, add all those things in, you actually could end up giving as, as much as 30% of your proverbial income. You could end up giving 30% of it away to the tabernacle worship. But what do we also see in Leviticus? We also see in those sacrifices that if you're poor, you can bring just a, a, a turtle dove, a pigeon, so in the Old Testament, tithing is not this rigid one-size-fits-all, only 10%. It's, it's the starting point. It's really easy because you can just take the number and you can just take one finger away or you can move the decimal point over. It's easy. But to those who have more, there's an expectation that more will be given. And to those who are really struggling, there is grace. That carries over into the New Testament where the Apostle Paul talks about, hey, giving to the work of the ministry, giving to support those who labor in preaching and teaching. I know that could potentially sound self-serving to some of you, but it's in the Bible. Tithing is a way to say, Lord, this is the place where I find my spiritual nourishment. This is the place where I give to support the work of the ministry. I want to see the, the, the leaders that serve cared for. I want to see the message go out. So tithing is a very biblical practice. Some of you, uh, the Lord has been exceedingly gracious to you and you need to consider that tithe doesn't just mean 10%, but maybe more. For some of you, you haven't ever even considered giving to the church or tithing and I would just encourage you, read the scriptures, pray about it. And, and if I can say it this 
bluntly, it's put your money where your mouth is. If you say, this is my home church, this is where I want to be accountable. Others of you, hey, it is tough and you are barely scraping by. Understand that this is not a rigid law, but it is a wisdom instruction given to us for the Lord for our good. For our good. You want to start putting money in its place? Just take 10% of it and just give it away right off the cuff. Sometimes I complain to my wife, what did non-Christians do with all their extra money? Number two, share. Sharing is, is different than tithing. When I mean sharing, I mean literally give to people in your life who are in need. The church has a benevolence fund. Awesome, that's great. We live in a society with various safety nets and social programs. Fine, all well and good. But do you know what's better than that? Just taking out money and giving it to someone who's in need. I'll tell you what, I get so encouraged sometimes as a, as a pastor in this church where we'll hear of a need, a financial need, and we'll go as like an elder team or the, the benevolence team will go to like try to give them money and the community group already like took care of the whole thing. I love those stories. They make me so happy. There's something incredibly beautiful and personal about just saying, I'm just going to give directly. I'm not just going to tie to the church for the benevolence fund or just let my taxes go into some big pool and all that kind of stuff. It's just you sharing, giving to somebody who's in need. In the words of those great theologians, the red hot chili peppers, give it away now. That was bad. I'll fix that for the five o'clock service. Oh, wait, we don't have one. Okay, third point. Move through these quickly. I'm going long. Number three, keep some margin. Keep some margin in your life. You want to put money in its place? Don't eke out every single penny that you could out of that client. Don't get every single hour of overtime you possibly could. Leave some margin. We'll get back to this in Leviticus 19, but there's that that principle of don't glean your fields all the way up to the very edges. Leave some for others. You need margin. You are not omniscient. You are not omnipresent. You need to leave margin. Well, but I just, money's tough. I take this side hustle. I take this side gig. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe you need to put some margin in your life so that you have time to devote to the study of God's word and to prayer. Oh, that doesn't get me any money. Well, you need to maybe put money in its place then. Number four, save. Save. This is, again, for some of us, you, us, who have a harder time with that kind of holding out you know, for the future. I, I don't remember where I read the quote. Maybe, might have been in a documentary, actually, where it was the, the one thing that separates us from the animals is the ability to, to plan ahead. Animals are, are instinctual. They just act in the moment. But human beings, one of the things that separates us is we can think about the future. And so saving is a great way to delay some of the gratification right now and to say, I'm going to put that in for the future. And saving is talked a lot about in the Bible as a way to honor the Lord and to take care of our families. And then lastly, number five, simplify. Simplify. Ask yourself, do you really need all that stuff? Do you really need another trip to Target, ladies? Am I going to get in trouble for that one? Okay. Do you really need another guitar? Arthur, yeah, I knew you were going to say it. Doggone it. (laughs) You're the one that keeps texting me all the guitars I'm trying not to buy, right? Look, again, you need to prayerfully consider, do you really need like, the standard that we live in, in our culture, and our society? We are the richest of the rich in world history. How do we learn how to live within our means and to simplify? Besides, someday you might move and you're going to really hate yourself then for having all that stuff. 
okay? Let me, let me do this as I bring it back to the heart of the matter here, okay? When we go from here, probably before the end of the day, you're going to have an opportunity to interact with money. And you're going to have an opportunity to remind yourself, to remind your heart, I don't trust in this wallet. I don't trust in this debit card. I don't trust in this checkbook. I don't trust in this purse. You trust in the God who ransomed your life from the power of Sheol. And we're going to have a million opportunities this week to live it out. And so I challenge you, where is your heart? And before we come to the Lord's table in a moment, we're going to have an opportunity just to pray and to reflect. And as we come to the table, it's a reminder of the debt that has been paid for us. The, it's a reminder of the eternal life that we're one day going to have. I also thought of the verse from Isaiah that says, without money, just come and eat. Come and buy bread. Come and get milk. Come and get the choicest of meats and the finest of wines because Jesus did, in fact, pay it all for us. So if you've trusted in Jesus, in a moment, I'll invite Pastor Steve to come lead us in communion. We get to just run to the table and eat and drink of the riches of God's grace. Will you pray with me? Lord, we thank you that you are the God of generosity. You're so generous that you created life with all of its abundance. Lord, we repent of the ways that we have spurned the gift of your life and your provision. And Lord, we cling to the provisions instead of the provider. We repent of that, Lord. And Lord, we trust in Jesus, the one who paid the debt that our sins would be forgiven. And Lord, even now, as we prepare to come to the table of the Lord, we declare Jesus paid it all and everything we have now, we surrender it to you. It all belongs to you. Help us to live like that, not just here on a Sunday morning, but 24 hours a day, seven days a week. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.